0: SassWet is a show about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, the hopers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit our Facebook page.
1: This is Sass what a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Matsky, and it is... My great privilege and honor to introduce to you my co-host, Andy Manske.
0: (laughs) Hello there. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing?
0: Great. It's really weird to look out of Sasua Tower and see darkness. No, there's no solar eclipse going on. It is night while we are recording this. It is 8.40 p.m. while we're recording this. We're used to recording this in the middle of the afternoon. Um... So it's really weird. It's like a different part of the day. It's a whole new feel for Saswa. For us. It's the same for that you. That fills
1: me with apprehension, because Squirrel Man could be looking in he at us. He could be looking at us right now.
0: <laughs> We'd have no way of knowing. Except his beady red eyes. <laughs> All right, his one singular white eye, which is staring at me right now. Huh? There's a light I can see. <laughs> from here, Actually, I can see two. Oh, Oh wow. my goodness, light. Light what? A show about like So, um... How was your April Fool's Day? What was your favorite April Fool's joke?
1: Okay. Um on, in
0: our on social media. Wow, group?
1: I'm really glad you asked that because there was my favorite was a place that we go in Wisconsin is in our region of Wisconsin is called Door County. And there is a land trust group that buys up land to keep it in its natural state. And Door County Land Trust had as their post A picture of a little baby jackalope and they said that the eastern jackalope is returning to the land trust areas and i just thought that was so cute and fun that's probably my favorite april fool's joke how about you my
0: favorite was that you showed me because i'm not on social network but um i don't believe in social network (laughs) um they're not real (laughs) It's just a bunch of guys dressing up, organized hoax. It's it's nothing. (laughs) It's Bunch of crazy people. Um, (laughs) Was um, a clothing company in Canada. It's called Roots. Are they just in Canada or can they trickle down to us? I don't know. We we go to their stores in Canada. Um, And it's irrelevant, not the fact. Um, No, it's actually a word. I'm talking, what's the word I make fun of now? Irregardless. Irregardless, Sorry. (laughs) In case you didn't know, regardless isn't a word. Um, so, Favorite April Fools is a clothing company where we go up in Canada, is Roots. And their their logo is a beaver. And so their post was, um, please sign our petition because for years and years, beavers have been stuck, you know, just damming up, you know, sp- lakes and rivers they've they've been stuck in the wild and please sign our petition to please give them full access to our fountains (laughs) and public pools it's just it was so perfectly worded i can't i can't say it right but it was perfectly worded like it was a real please help with our cause thing and i i loved it that was probably my favorite now we had Tossed around the yes. idea of... We have to say this. We doing
1: our own April Fool's prank, but we just didn't... Uh, I don't know. It, did, it would have been It didn't weird. feel right. It
0: didn't feel right. So keep an eye out next year. There might be something coming out. I don't know. We'll, we'll plan it all year long. <laughs> and then chicken out at <laughs> the, chicken the last And chicken out minute. at the last <laughs> We can't do this. Oh, my. Well, um... Do we have any letters this week, Dad? We,
1: we have some letters. Um, I'm actually pulling these off of our Facebook page, but they're very nice messages I wanted to share. First one is from our listener, Bill. He said, just wanted to say what a good job you guys are doing. I was worried about the show and how things would go, but I must say the two of you are nailing it. So I thought that was that's, really cool. That's great. I, you know what, Bill? That makes two of us. I was pretty worried about Three. how things Three. would it makes go. I think
0: all of us were worried.
1: Yeah, and uh, to the point where, you know, I, this is well documented at this point, but I wasn't even sure that the show would continue for quite some time.
0: But I'm glad yeah. we're doing it. Yeah, I'm I, glad I'm we, glad we to, nailed it. Yeah, I mean.
1: we will try our best to keep nailing it. And not our thumbs, but the nail. nail
0: the nail, not our thumbs, our index finger. We,
1: We promise we'll do our very best. And then this was really cool, too. Along the same lines, this is a really great listener of ours named Tom. And Tom wrote, I'm so glad you and Andy have decided to carry on with the show. I've enjoyed every episode and look forward to many more to come. Keep up the great work and best wishes to you both from a former Buckeye from Toledo. That's awesome to me because Tom wrote... I forget, he may have written an email around the time where I was considering, should what should we keep it going? Should we just put it away forever? And uh, Tom wrote in something to the effect that he has come to really love the show and has listened to just about every episode. And so, Tom, thank you for your influence because you probably had more um, influence than you can expect or imagine in keeping what rolling. So, Thanks for your encouragement. We appreciate it quite a bit. And on our Twitter, Sean Forker had some very kind things to say. Um, especially, I think he referred to you as one of his favorite podcasters. Period. End of story. The fork chop said that about you,
2: uh,
0: and that I we don't...
1: we help make his morning commute uh, more tolerable. If we tolerable. can make
0: people's morning commute better, we're doing our job. Really. As a reminder, Saswat Nation, Arizona is our next Saswat Nation. If you have experienced anything in Arizona related to Bigfoot or you have a favorite story you remember from reading in a book, please share it with us at um, Sasquatchmail Sasquat at
1: gmail.com. No. We're going to do the rest of this podcast in unison.
0: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I was going to say insane. Sorry. In unison
1: sync. We have one very newsworthy news desk item, and it went all over the Associated Press. So, Andy, remind us of that, and we'll get into that.
0: So this is from Idaho, and the headline reads, Woman blames Sasquatch for Crash. A northern Idaho woman told police she crashed into a deer because she was distracted by a Sasquatch in her rearview mirror. The Moscow Pullman Daily News... <laughs> see, a little behind the scenes. I am messed up saying re... Review. Review. I kept calling a <laughs> review mirror before we recorded. So, now, back to our story. The Moscow Pullman Daily News reports that a 50-year-old TENS woman was driving south on US-95 on Wednesday when she struck a deer near Potlatch. The woman told Benowa County Sheriff's officials that she saw a sasquatch chasing a deer on the side of the road while she was driving. She says she checked one of her mirrors to get a second look at the beast and when she looked up, the deer ran in front of her. Sheriff's officials recorded the incident as a vehicle versus deer collision, but did not report any evidence of Bigfoot. Re no like re- rear view. Rear view. <laughs> I blame the braces. In
1: your rear view, you review
0: what you just saw. So, reviewing what we just heard, (laughs) briefly, what do you think of this report?
1: Well, one thing that I know about this report is that it went everywhere. It It was on evening news programs across the nation. It appeared because of the Associated Press pickup in Countless newspapers. It appeared
0: in our local Cleveland newspaper. It appeared in the Plain Dealer, which caused, I think it's up to three people from our church telling us, (laughs) did you see this in the paper? Like, emailing us the link online, which is great. And that's, I mean, really, we might have found it without this. I think GPs, my grandparents, would have picked it up or told us about it. But, I mean, it's great that people tell us about it. I have my little... Newspaper clip, which clipping, which I read this from. It's great.
1: So, you know, on what it's never enough to just give the surface no. view. So we had to dig a little you deeper. Have, you have to dig deep. And what
0: part of Idaho was this from? <laughs> it's from southern Idaho. I read that.
1: See, it's interesting. Northern, I'm wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Trust me, very southern.
0: (laughs) The southern part of Northern.
1: But I did a little bit of investigation, and an article followed up on this report from the Idaho State Journal. This is idahostatejournal.com. And it brings Dr. Meldrum into the conversation, which makes a lot of sense. And so this article says a Northern Idaho woman recently made national news after she blamed a car crash on a Sasquatch. Now, a noted local Bigfoot researcher is saying that her story seems credible on the surface. Dr. Jeff Meldrum, professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University, has been researching Bigfoot sightings for years, and he said the woman's claim is not out of the realm of possibility. According to an article in the Moscow Pullman Daily News, the woman, 50-year-old resident of the town of Tensed, told police she saw a Sasquatch chasing a deer on the side of the road last Wednesday night while driving on U.S. Highway 95, near the Idaho-Washington border. Then she checked her rearview mirror to get a second look at what she described as a seven to eight foot tall, quote, shaggy, unquote, creature. But when she looked up, the deer ran in front of her and she struck the animal with her Subaru Forester.
0: That's detail for you. Yes.
1: Even though Meldrum has not interviewed the woman making the claims, he said the story does seem credible due to how she handled the sighting in the aftermath of the crash. It's intriguing because she sounds like a very credible witness, he said, noting, there is no suggestion that she was inebriated or delusional. Her first response was to report it to the sheriff and not post it on Facebook. Meldrum also said that the whole scenario seems plausible, especially considering the time of year and the location of the crash, which occurred near a heavily wooded national forest. The most common places to see a Bigfoot is on a highway at night or adjacent to a body of water, he said. The whole northern panhandle is prime habitat for a Sasquatch. This is also the time of year you would expect a Bigfoot to be chasing deer when it's malnourished at the end of winter. Though Meldrum said this is all speculation at this point, he does say there are some other possibilities to explain the sighting. The woman could have merely misinterpreted what she saw chasing the deer. While it could have been a bear emerging from its winter den and looking for a meal, Meldrum said, that explanation seems unlikely. A bear isn't going to be chasing deer on its hind legs, Meldrum said. The bear would have taken one or two steps before going back on four legs. Instead, there's the possibility that the woman was being pranked. In 2012, a man dressed in a Bigfoot costume was trying to drum up sightings of the creature along a Montana highway. Instead, he ended up getting struck by two cars and killed. But what fascinates Meldrum most about the case in northern Idaho is how much interest the story had generated. It is already picked up by multiple national news organizations, such as Fox News, and was one of the top trending stories on Facebook this weekend. What's interesting is the attention it has gotten, he said. It isn't obviously involving a crazy person, and it doesn't seem like a prank. I think it struck a chord because it was just so mundane, but it smacks of a credible encounter. In the end, the Associated Press reported that police marked the incident allegedly involving Bigfoot as a vehicle versus deer collision. On the evenings of April 14th and 15th, Meldrum will make two presentations at the National Oregon California Trail Center in Montpelier regarding the subject of Bigfoot.
0: Well, I think it's a very unique sighting. I mean, yeah, you all, I mean, like you said, the highest, the highest possibility of seeing Bigfoots in a car near forest or woods which is a very it's something we've talked about
1: it is it seems to be like it's a recurring theme of just the episodes that we've done so far is like if you want to see bigfoot go to place where there's a concentration of sightings and just drive around that seems to me to be your best bet
0: and then the idea of like seeing it and then getting another look and then the deer hitting seems logical i mean If you saw something that was big and hairy, would you want to get a second look at it? Yeah, you would. If not, huh? Why? And I think it's interesting that police didn't talk about the Bigfoot part of it, but, you know, it's when it boils down to it, what are you going to be worried about? The fact that, you know, this lady had a car crash or a Bigfoot was sighted in relation to it, so be worried about the Bigfoot. Don't worry about the car crash, (laughs) we should do
1: yeah yeah I thought Meldrum's point was well taken that it's not a sensational story in any respect
0: it's not like i was i was it probably yeah
1: it probably made news because it's um like you said it's a mundane thing, but it caused a an actual result not not that you know that it's the sighting that caused the result and it's just it's fascinating and it's also strange. This is a whole other subject, but to see what Associated Press picks up and deems like it's worthy of of comment and sharing across all these platforms but uh just I felt we had to comment on it a little yep. bit, and it's the really the car connection for me that caught my attention. Our guest tonight is Darren Richardson, and Darren reached out to me through the uh the saswa mail at gmail dot com address with a really, really interesting story. And so I'm not going to spoil that too much. I'll just say, uh, welcome Darren to the show. Hello. How's it going? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Good. Um, now you told me in the, in the message that you used to host a podcast on blog talk radio called the Bigfoot mystery. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Well, not much to tell really, um, I just, it is a very big interest of mine, and I actually found out uh, about these broad talk radio podcasts by accident one day. Okay. And, uh, and I listened, listened to a few, and then I found out, wait, I can do one too. And <laughs> yeah. So I did.
1: <laughs> cool.
3: I did it for uh, two years, three years. Mm hmm. I stopped doing it in 2009 I, or 10. I don't really remember the exact date I stopped doing it, but I guess I got bored with it while I stopped doing it. <laughs>
1: okay. Now, with I have some
3: interesting guests on there. Like, uh, I know um, my biggest guest I had on there was Robert W. Morgan.
1: Oh, really? Wow.
3: And I did have Igor have called into the show one time. That was arranged by a friend
1: of the show. No kidding. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's really cool. <laughs> From Russia. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's awesome. I know it's, it's sometimes um, you sort of run out of the drive to do it. You know what I mean?
3: <laughs> well, at the time, all the shows were... Um, I think that I felt they were copying each
1: other. Okay. Uh,
3: the same stuff, so I said,
1: ah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Understandable. But then you uh, went on to write a book about your experiences um, that's called Bigfoot and I Personal Journey into the World of Sasquatch. And yes. I think that uh, what we'll just get into right away is your initial sighting that took place in June of 91. Uh, just kind of walk us through that, and if I have any questions, I'll just jump in. But okay. uh, you just take the reins. Well, um, before uh, I had
3: my sighting, my first exposure to, to Bigfoot was actually—I thought he was a media-generated character. Okay. Um, um I saw um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bigfoot and Wildlife television Television. Oh shows, my uh, goodness!
1: Yes, yes. That... Um,
3: I think it was that, and the Six Million Dollar Man episodes were the first, My first exposure to Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Then went on the Chewbacca on um. On Star Wars, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is an eighty generic character. As a kid at the time, oh, he's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then as I got a little older, I found out, well, they're treating him like he's real because I was reading. I found some books. First Bigfoot book I ever read was On the Track of Bigfoot by Marion T. Place.
1: Yes, that's. I have great.
3: that one, and that was my first Bigfoot book. I'm thinking they're actually treating him like it's real. Ah, it's got to be phony. <laughs> yeah. And that all changed on June eighth, nineteen ninety
1: one. Oh my goodness!
3: It flipped my world upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm a Civil War reenactor. I've been doing it here in Oregon. Yeah, it's true. We do it in Oregon uh, for about geez, 25, years, 25 years, at least. Um, we had a trial event in, in uh, Washington State at a place called Mineral Lake, near uh, 14 miles from Elby, in the foothills of Mount Rainier. Um, it was it was a real small event. It was like eight eight people per side. I swear, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was it was fun. It was small. It was fun. At the until I uh, had the incident that night. Um, Well, it was, uh, I think it was around midnight, I walked my dad back to his van. Uh, I had to get something out of the van, I don't remember what it was. And he was kind of a weenie, didn't want to sleep in camp with the rest of us in (laughs) in our our period canvas tents. So I said, good night, Dad. And then I I started to walk back to camp. Now, to give you a layout of this, uh, there's this hill that runs next to us railroad tracks up and over, and on the back side of the hill is where we were camped. This comes into play later in the story. I'll, I'll get to that. Um, so I decided so to walk back to camp. It was dark. I had my flashlight. and The moonlight was shining. I could you know, kind of see outlines of things. I'm thinking, I'll think i follow the railroad tracks back to camp. Yeah. Good thing I didn't because I didn't end up 15 miles to L.B. Washington for miles of fall those tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I think I didn't do that. Uh, so I was walking down the tracks. I come around a bend in the tracks. And on one side of the track, there's a second set of tracks with the, just the empty boxcar sitting on it. And on the right-hand side, there's a ditch and some woods. And on the left-hand side of the boxcar, that was the hill that come up and over onto our camp. I passed that boxcar just after I passed it. I smelled something and stopped. I don't know why I stopped. Looking back at it now, it could have been infrasound, I don't know. I just stopped, and I smelled something really, really gross. Um, uh, the, the, the only way I could compare it to is someone took a bath in an outhouse. I don't know. Ooh. It was really kind of eye-watering. It was the, the stench was just overpowering. So I just stopped. And, okay, skunk maybe? Maybe I should wait till something, whatever it was, goes away. Mm-hmm. That's when this thing stepped out onto the railroad tracks in front of me, 20 feet from me. Um, and I, my, my world was flipped upside down. And it was just, I was, I was terrified. This thing was, first I thought, okay, guys, this isn't funny.
2: Mm-hmm
3: there someone's playing a prank on me it wasn't funny and i'm thinking i don't know anyone that tall um i'm five foot five and this thing made me look tiny wow uh i it was at least eight feet tall three to four feet wide at the shoulders very powerfully built uh, i did not look like i had a neck his uh, head was kind of pointed kind of it was kind of pointed i drew a picture of it i sent you the picture yes my brother uh had me had to help me with the drawing i'm, I'm not an artist okay um,
1: it's a very effective picture, though. Uh, it's a very effective picture. I mean, it g- gets the point across pretty well. I,
3: uh, I drew the head and the shoulders. My brother helped me out with all the other finer details. Okay. Uh, and, this, and it was uh, covered in dark, shaggy hair. I couldn't tell the exact color of the hair. was too dark. I want to see like a dark brown. Uh, I couldn't see the face too clearly, but I'll always remember the eyes. Hmm. The eyes had intelligence behind them, and uh, they fear. I'm looking at this thing going, what the heck is that? It's looking at me going, what the heck is that? Right. Like, it wasn't expecting to see me. Its arms hung almost to its knees. I couldn't, and it had long legs. I couldn't see its feet at all. Um, I think it was male. I can't really confirm that, but I want to say it was male.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, he looked at me. I looked at him. The whole thing lasted about three seconds, and all of a sudden, this thing darted across both sets of railroad tracks, the one combined leap stride. Wow. And he powered himself up the hill. I turned, and I ran from him. Oh yeah, I did. I, you know, it was. I ended up taking the right uh, corner and then came back to my camp. I was going back there. I was kind of in a daze,
2: mm-hmm. a,
3: a fear, a shock. I don't know. Uh, I kind of mumbled the you oh know, hi and go to bed. good the height. <laughs> um, I eventually went to sleep.
2: Hmm. I don't
3: know. How, I don't know how we did, but I guess I was so exhausted. That I yeah, cast out and went to sleep. Um, later that night, we heard a um, a popping sound the entire camp woke up we heard a popping sound up on top of this hill now as reenactors we're not allowed to fire our guns in camp and especially not at night we only carry blanks we we're not allowed to carry a lot of ammunition well there's popping sounds coming up up at the top of that hill we had two um, reenactors who were sleeping up on the, top of the hill because they wanted to be daring I guess
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, we heard this pop 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 we, we figured that's black powder fire why are they firing in camp yeah, and all of a sudden they both come running down off the hill barefoot clutching their rifles and they were scared they were shoot- said they were shooting at a banshee that's the term they used to describe what they saw because whatever it was was moving fast hmm. we got them calmed down and I think they slept in their cars that night and I'm not sure I think one of them actually left the event but I can't confirm that mm-hmm. um, the, the funny thing is uh, 20 years later I tried to talk to one of, the, one of these guys about what happened they said they don't, don't want to talk about it and I walked away Wow. They still don't want to talk about it. Okay. So um, that, that, that happened. We, the camp so we went back to bed. Next morning we woke up and our camp looked like a tornado had hit it. Oh, wow. Um, uh, fire irons were knocked over, light poles uprooted. Now, um, there was this log that we had rolled up to the fire pit because, so we could use it as a chair. The log was, I don't know how long it was, four feet long and maybe three feet wide. I don't really know, but it took three of us to roll it up next to the, the fire so we could use it as a chair. We found it, it had been thrown, tossed, moved five feet, five or ten feet from the campfire like it was a toy. Whew. What? And um, one of the guys did admit that um, his camp was knocked over and he went, hey, what's going on out there? And whatever was doing it, whoever was doing it, ran away.
2: Oh,
1: wow. So
3: we, we kind of think, what happened? We, there was almost a freak windstorm it was next to the lake.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm thinking, okay, fine, because I wasn't thinking, I was trying to get my mind in the frame of being a reenactor, trying to... Block out what happened to me the previous night. I didn't think to look for tracks or anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So um, I tried to make the day go on as, as best as I could. And then, uh, as we were going home from the reenactment I said, "Dad," he said, "What?" I said, "Never mind."
2: Hmm.
3: I kept this to myself for three or four years because there's back. This was in the, ni- the early '90s. There was no internet. There's no way for me to be contact with other witnesses. So. I, I was in counseling for three years, uh, a couple of suicide attempts, because I couldn't come to grips I with what had happened to me.
2: Oh, no.
3: um, then there was an ancient mysteries uh, show. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, 19, the one that came out in 93? Yes. With uh, They had a number on their 1-800-Bigfoot. I'm thinking, is that a real number? Can I call that?
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: And I did. I talked to Peter Byrne briefly, um, and then uh, he said his assistant would call me the next day and talk to him about my sighting. We did, and they sent me the written questionnaire, and I filled it out and sent it to them. And after, since I, after I did that, I became more and more comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. In 1996, um, his assistant, Todd Deary, actually came out to my parents' house, where I was living at the time, actually interviewed me, and, and they said they believed my story. Um, so since then, um, and I had to figure out some way to um, deal with what I saw, so I became obsessed with it start reading everything collecting everything newspaper articles recording the show on tv you name it what else was i supposed to do what was i supposed to talk to
2: mm-hmm. i
3: was young at the time no one's going to believe me So says i saw a, a bigfoot i mean no oh, he's a kid he must have been smoking something or i would never done drugs and never drinking alcohol um when i was younger mm-hmm. i was completely really sober when i and, uh, had all my faculties with me when i saw what i saw that night i've had people to, even to this day. Tell me, you didn't see that. You imagine, and I don't talk to those people anymore. Wow. They weren't there. <laughs> right. I was there. They weren't. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's what happened to um, me, uh, to get me all involved in the subject. And, uh, you know, it just flipped more upside down. I know they're real. They're out there. This this thing, I didn't find it. It found me hmm. by accident. Yeah. I, I wonder if uh, the, the noise we had made previous day with our mock battle that must scared it, and it was in the neighborhood looking, it was looking for a place to hide. That's the only thing I could come up with, why it was there. Yeah. Because we were in the Foothill mountain right here, and that's, uh, you know, heavy Bigfoot territory, too.
1: Right. <sighs> you know, in your book, you had a really amazing description, I thought. You said something to the effect of, I knew that I knew what I was seeing, and I also knew I couldn't be seeing what I was seeing. I mean, it's something along right. that line. And that I thought that was really striking as a, yeah. just a, a description of what happens to your mind, you know, when you're seeing something like that. Right,
3: you start questioning everything after that, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, this can't be real. This cannot be real. I've seen it on TV, I've seen it in the movie. You know, what, what the heck's going on here, you know? I'm still having trouble to this day, I, you know, I'm trying to deal with it, I mean... I even have nightmares, uh, PTSD nightmares from it. Well, I, all of a sudden, I'll be sleeping. All of a sudden, I would scream out and run and, and whimper in the corner. My wife would up. And, you're okay? Was it a dream again? I said, yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, what did it do this time? I said, well, it tried to kill me when I had my sighting in the dream, a PTSD dream about that. In the dream, it would all go up to the sighting, and it attacked me attacking, and I'd wake up screaming. It, it, um, it affects me that much to this day still, uh, what, 20-some years later. hmm
1: So did it, when you started to, uh, like when you called the hotline number and somebody called you back and took it seriously, uh, I imagine that was somewhat helpful at the time, wasn't it,
3: um, it? It was a great weight off my shoulders at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Now you also sent a picture of the tracks where the sighting took place, am I right on that? And it, you're like, um, you're striding... Like, you have your legs spread way apart <laughs> I, yeah, to yeah. approximate um, the... Um, I went
3: back to, I wanted a proper ending for the book, um, so I went back with a couple of friends to the siding 17 years later, and everything almost was the same, except the box I wasn't there, but I found the approximate spot where I had the siding, so I had my friend, she stood um, where I stood, I walked 20 feet and tried to play the part of the Bigfoot to see how, um and 20 feet's a lot closer than I thought it was. hmm um, I tried to do this. I can't do this. Try my legs are too short. I just I can't do it. Yeah. I tried to, and it really hurt after I got done. But sure. That was in the, the approximate spot.
1: That well, just gives you a sense of the size of the creature, too. To just right. And and the speed that it moved with. I mean, that's. Yeah uh, you know, that that occurred to me as you were talking about that. You know, I was thinking. Um, I was just talking with my wife today about a time in that we were in Canada and we saw an eagle circling an island. It went around a bend. And I turned my head and I had about two, maybe three seconds to see it and it was gone. And that that's what's occurring to me now as I'm talking to you is that, you know, you didn't, <laughs> your sighting was extremely quick, but you knew what you saw enough so to, to get a lot of detail. But just the, the speed with what, would you know, with which that happens can just be startling, all by itself yeah. too.
3: I, like I said, I had been familiar with it on exposed on TV, and then it, all of a sudden, there it is in real life in front of me. I'm thinking, what else could it be? Had, is it is a big Sasquatch. There's nothing else it could be. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was too big to be anything else. Yeah. And bears don't walk on hind legs. Sorry.
1: <laughs> right. Especially not to move like that. So. No. So you were uh, extremely affected by this and uh, started to, to reach out to some of these researchers. Um, what happened in the wake of that, you know, once you started to talk to Peter Byrne and some of these other researchers?
3: Um, the first researchers I ever contacted was um, uh, Peter Byrne's um, hotline number. then in 1990, okay, what was 96? Seven, I got involved with the Red Crow's Western Bigfoot Society and I and I got to talk about it more to other people who would understand what I went through. And so I got involved I joined that that club and had went to their meetings and things like that. And I got to meet like Larry Lund and Henry Frenzoni people like that. And it just made me feel a whole lot whole lot better. And yeah, to, to be able to talk about this to people who won't look at me with like a slack jaw gape and like, oh yeah, I understand what you went through. Mm-hmm. That, that's just the greatest feeling you can get when you tell the story like this, yeah. from other people who've experienced it.
1: Yeah, I, I see that. I you know even to this day, I see that happening a lot. Just just at the events that we've been a part of, I think uh, there's a you know people come to a, a Bigfoot conference for a variety of reasons, but one one reason definitely is that people who have had sightings and experiences can finally talk about it um, without fear of ridicule and right. much more so today than probably in 91
3: oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's, you know Bigfoot was big in the right in the 70s with uh, you know uh, the Bigfoot Information Center that Peter had in the bowels and uh, a bunch of other big investigators and I was kind of wished it had happened in the 70s, because it was more more, uh, more known back then, you, hmm. know, if you know what I mean. Right. And then it kind of died down a little in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And then it picked back up. Like, uh, when someone told me that uh, for every one sighting that's been uh, reported, 10 don't go reported, because uh, people don't want to think you're uh, a kook or um, you're crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think the number is much higher than that. I think it's like every... For every one site, and there's 100 that are not reported. Because um, people just don't know where to go. They don't want to talk about it. Like I said, the two, the, one of the guys who actually experienced what I experienced that night, 91, still won't talk about it to this day. That was mm-hmm. 20-some years ago.
1: So how long did it take before you went back to the site, to to the campsite? I went
3: back in 2000, 2007. 2000, in 2007, I think I went back to the site like it was 17 years later. Mm-hmm. I wanted to. I wanted to get an appropriate, any form of look. I actually, it was my friend Lou. She actually um, suggested I go back with her,
2: hmm.
1: and
3: so we did. And we we went back there. We found circumstantial evidence that something was still there. Oh wow! Yeah, it was a. Uh, um, you know, I, I was um, shaking. And I sent you the link for the, the YouTube videos too, where we went back and um, we recorded. We, we recorded everything we could, and it just it was a. Uh, I didn't sleep for three days after
1: that. Wow. Wow. Because it was
3: just going, going back to it is, it was, um, everything looked almost the same. I mean,
2: Mm
3: -hmm. I could have time traveled for all I know and went back. I mean, it was, it it was just, I was speechless.
1: So did you, I mean, did you feel a certain way when you were there that caused you to suspect that, you know, uh, some type of creature was still around? Um,
3: not really not not that aspect, I just was really really nervous and paranoid, yeah, <laughs> I didn't think there's anything there until we looked around for certain things and certain things seemed out of place, like a uh, the tree barks being pulled from the tree with no claw marks or lightning bolts on it um the, the rock formation next to the trail was going up into the hill, which was done like uh, by something on looked like uh, something by Peter had done it. I don't really know. um mm-hmm. this is all in the videos on YouTube. Uh, things like that, things that looked out of place that you know humans probably wouldn't have been
1: doing. So after you had your sighting, I imagine that you started to explore sighting reports from that general area. Uh, if, if you hadn't uh, done so already, were there? Did that give you a new perspective, or did it it make you just question even more? Because as you said before, I mean Mount Rainier, for example, is. Uh-huh is the site of a lot of different activity um what were some of the things you discovered in the wake of that Your sighting.
3: yeah it was um it was uh, it was like uh, say me a lot i mean sorry uh no no it's
1: it's okay
3: yeah um yeah uh it's, it's still tough to talk about today mm-hmm. it's just really tough for me to talk about even to my wife i mean what I went through, um, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Even if the want to have a sighting, no, you don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: You don't really want to have one because it'll affect you in ways you can't possibly think of. PTSD, anyone? You know?
1: Yeah. No. Thanks. And, right. You
3: know, I, still, I, still, I still, have PTSD to
1: this day of it. Yeah, that's a that's very interesting. You said that. Um, we heard Sibylla Irwin at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference last year. You know, and she will try to draw sketches for people who've had sightings and up close mm-hmm. and that's that's what i walked away with from her presentation is that she said a couple times you know a lot of people who are here who haven't had a sighting generally say all oh, i all i want to do is to just see one and she said yeah. no you really don't <laughs> no, <laughs> um you don't. For the reasons that you're describing, I mean, you're not alone at all. Uh, That and that seems to be kind of her mission—not only just to get these things down on paper, so there's some sort of physical description, but just to almost be a therapist to the people who are describing their sighting to her. So, you know, there is that therapeutic quality to having, you know, being able to share your story with somebody who is um, open-minded enough to accept your story as what actually happened
3: right um yeah you talk about therapy i I did go to a couple therapists um shortly after i had my sighting in a couple months or so and um one told me you didn't see bigfoot i says i didn't he said no you saw a physical manifestation of your inner childhood demons or something like that i got up i said screw you i walked out of the room didn't go back
2: Mm mm-hmm wow
3: that's the kind of thing I I I, I had encountered with uh, trying to tell a quote unquote professional about it. Mm-hmm. So I went to several counselors, and you know uh, it didn't work out. So I, I had to do my own self help. There, there was nothing else I could have done
2: mm-hmm.
3: at the time. If I had known people, as the networking now that I had back then, I think I would have dealt with it a little better. But that network didn't exist. It exists now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So. I'm I'm very thankful that whoever has these sightings that affected them the way that it affected me that they have an outlet almost immediately where they can get some help for these for um what they went through yeah. with, other, with other bigfooters. If
1: that makes sense. Sure, it absolutely does. Um after you had your sighting was did you get right back into the reenactments and so forth? Uh Oh, absolutely. Okay. So so that's I mean that's that's a good healthy step, you know, because that, right. um, you kind of feel like you had to go out there or else you would never go out there again. I mean, you know what I mean?
3: Well, I, um, a lot of the other places that we did a reenactment for were like state parks and it was all, um, there's no unknown factors there, like it was at Mineral Lake.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So I, I felt comfortable.
1: Did you ever find out if Mineral Lake has a history of sightings?
3: Um, kind of. I did a little bit of research on sightings in the area, not exactly in that exact spot. But, you know, it's, you know Mineral Lake's near places like Ording, Washington, and um, Mount Rainier, and there have been sightings in, in that area. So um, there could have been other sightings there at that spot, but I have yet to determine them. And you know, like I said, people, not many people report them anymore, so who knows? I mean, there could be something happening there today. Someone may have seen it today there and won't report it because they're scared to. Mm-hmm. I would love to go back with my wife because um, she would like to see the uh, what happened. But, um, yeah, give me some courage first before I can do that.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> About how far is that from where you are now?
3: Um, at the time I went there, I was living in the Dallas, Oregon.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, geez.
3: Two hours, three Okay. And from here, be like maybe three or four hours from here in Eugene, Oregon. I don't really know the exact mileage, but it's a couple of hours. Yeah. Up the freeway. And uh, if you get it, we actually when we went to Mineral Lake, we um, with my friend, went to friends back in two thousand seven. We actually got lost twice and missed the turnoff twice. Oh, really? There. We eventually, we eventually found it.
1: Okay. So it's somewhat remote, right? I mean, it's yeah. It, okay. So at the
3: time we went back there in 2007, uh, there was some sort of event going on, and um, there was a bunch of bunch of people camping. It looked like a uh, bunch of gypsies were camping there because of the brightly colored tents.
1: Oh wow! Okay.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it was was pretty, pretty, pretty impressive, but weird, you know. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Right. Huh.
3: No offense to the gypsies out
2: there.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) We love you. Love you, gypsies. Yes, we love you, gypsies. Oh, man.
3: Yeah, I did talk to a guy there. He actually remembered the reenactment in 1991.
1: No kidding. Wow. So as you kind of got into the Bigfoot world, so to speak, um, who are some of the – you've you've named a couple so far that I think many listeners to this show would be very familiar with. Were there any others who kind of – you know that you found to be listening. You know, had a listening spirit, or you know, were open to your reports. Um, who else did you meet? Uh, let's
3: see. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can give them in, in the <laughs> direct order, but let's uh, see. Um, uh, Autumn Williams was very, very, very kind to me. She uh, I hooked up with her for a while,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and um, she she listened to me and and gave me some advice. I almost called her my mentor in the investigation field because. She told me what to look for, what to do, what not to do. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm very thankful that I got hooked up with her. Gray um, Crow, I told you. Uh, yes. Who else? I have met Jeff Meldrum. Um, John mm nagel mm-hmm. Bob Gimlin. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you something about Bob Gimlin. Okay. Anyone who says that film is um, fake doesn't know what they're talking about. I looked in Bob Gimlin's eyes. I asked him what happened that day at the Yakima Roundup. What happened to him was real to him. Like, what happened to me was real to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He's not lying about what happened that day. That's a real film. I met Bob Goodman, He seems great. Um, I got to meet the infamous Henry May.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. You know who he is, right? Yes. You know who
3: Henry May is. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a big, close, uh, big, friend of mine. Um, Billy Willard, Eric Altman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobo, James Fay. With Berrickman. Well, I met a lot of them. <laughs> right. But the one that um, I talked to the most of, uh, Back in the, the 2007, it was Autumn Williams, and she was very, very kind and shared a lot of things with me. I shared a
1: lot of things with her. Now, I, I honestly don't know the answer to this question. Is she still doing active investigations? No. Has she? She's just stopped. Yeah,
3: she's. She, yeah, she's, as far as I know, she's stopped.
1: Okay. Do you have any insight as to why that is, or is that a personal no, deal? No, I don't. It, uh, no, okay. I don't. Okay. <laughs> No, it's cool. I just didn't I had no clue. And no, uh, I don't
2: know.
1: Okay. So that it's it you know, I have to say I've I've heard Bob Gimlin speak twice mm-hmm. and uh shook his hand and and uh you know, just had a I don't know, probably a total grand total of 4 days of just being sort of in his orbit, you know, because he's right. super busy whenever you get a bunch of people together. Right. But but I had exactly the same impression that you did, that this is, you know, say what you want, and, you know, people have said all manner of things, but he's not lying about oh, what happened no. to him. There's no way that you could walk away from an, a a conversation with him thinking anything other than the story that he tells is the truth to him you know that it's, there's nothing about it that rings false and uh you know he has nothing he has nothing to gain really uh, it, you know no, he the long and convoluted story of that film he has nothing to gain by saying that it was real but he's just a man of his word and uh, but like
3: I tell people they, they ask me what the what it looked like when I saw it. And I said you've seen the Patterson-Gillen film, and they'd say yeah.
2: It's a lot like that, except more, taller and, and uh, more shaggy here. Hmm.
1: You know I right. You know I, I'm I'm pretty I'm sensitive to asking you details about the actual sighting because I know it's not the most pleasant thing in the world, but the. One detail that keeps coming back to my mind is when you said that it looked as surprised to see you as you must have looked to see it, and that just fascinates me. Just that idea is fascinating to me. That um,
3: yeah, I, I saw uh, there's intelligence in, behind the thing's eyes, and it was just fear. The look in its eyes, I mean, like a oh God, where am I? You know that type of look. It was just mm-hmm. it was just fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know. I don't. I don't want to call it abject terror, but it was just fear.
1: I think it might
3: have been lost, too. I don't know. Right. Right. There's no way I can
1: go ask it today, you know? Exactly. Well, sure. <laughs> um, But that really, like you said, I mean, that implies intelligence, emotion. Uh, it's not something that people generally associate with these creatures, I don't think, is a sense of vulnerability, really. And
2: you,
3: right. They're, you... they're flesh and blood creatures. I mean, they probably have the same... Uh, Vulnerabilities that we do.
2: Mm-hmm. I'd
3: like to think.
2: Yeah.
1: So um, when you started doing the podcast, I mean, did people start giving you reports and you know, sort of asking you or hoping that you'd follow up on them, or did they just call in and share stories? How did that? How did that go? Did it you was, be? It
3: was mainly calling in and sharing stories. Um, okay. I wasn't really in a position to follow up on anything, really. Yeah. Um. Although I was living in a. You know, there have been some sightings in the Dallas in the 70s and things like that. I was living up there where I could have if someone from the area had called in. but It made my most of the out of the area people
1: that called in at the show. Okay, so you're not... You haven't really gone out at, like as an active researcher on behalf of other people call, giving you their reports, but... No, no, yeah. no, I would have liked to have done that. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um... I think, you know, one thing that I'm really interested in is um, kind of your insights, having gone through this experience yourself, you know, if someone were to come to you and say, uh, hey, Darren, you know what, I haven't told anybody this, but um, I had a sighting, what What would you sort of, um, what would you recommend to them? Like, how would you walk that, them through that?
3: That actually happened when I was living in the Dallas. Okay. Um, I was... Uh, I was in a uh, a grocery store that had a a deli in there. I was sitting there eating lunch, waiting for the girl I was dating to get off. We were living together at the time. And uh, a guy walks up to me, and he's like, dressed real nice had a cell phone. He says, excuse me, are you the guy who said he saw Bigfoot? I went, oh, God, not again. (laughs) And I kind of looked at him. I says, yes, yes, I am. And he started crying. Oh, wow. He says, I don't know who who to talk to. I just saw one of the teams on I-84 last week. And it says, you know, look, it's it's not uncommon to see them. And I gave him my contact information for him to call me when he was ready to talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I had never got a call. Oh, wow. Again, someone who's still deeply affected by it, they still haven't... I don't know, if maybe he contacted someone else, I don't know, but... Right. This, this guy didn't... He was, yeah, he was really emotional about it. You know, you're living in a town of uh, 13,000 people, the dolls was, and we're getting around who I am.
1: <laughs> right. So
3: he found me I don't know how he knew what I looked like but he found me
1: yeah yeah that whole thing that's that's unusual so, um, to say the least you know
3: now because of everything I've been through mm-hmm. if someone tells me I saw Bigfoot I go yes so what so have I <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so nonchalant about it now it's, yeah you know finding Bigfoot's on TV and all these other shows it's its become um, I almost call it mainstream right that people aren't going to laugh as much anymore. That's why I say, "So what?" So vice when I, I want
1: to say it. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah. The way it is. <laughs> now, I mean that—that that brings up kind of an interesting question. I think. Um, yeah. Do you? And I—I I have a sense of how I think you'll answer, but but you answer it your way. Do you think um, shows like Finding Bigfoot have helped or hurt the the overall perception of? Bigfoot and people who see Bigfoot.
3: Uh, I want to say both. Okay. Uh, I watch it for the sighting report. the experiences. That's why I watch it. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's
1: the only reason I watch it. Yeah. To <laughs> so, like the town hall meeting segments.
3: Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, we had. Find Bigfoot, Bigfoot finds you. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I've i heard that very phrase uh, being used, you know, more so like within the last two or three years, but I, I it just has the ring of truth, I think. And you know what, I actually, it occurred to uh, Andy and me when we were kind of compiling reports for a past episode, and we reached this point where we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, it almost seems as if... The, you have a better percentage of seeing Bigfoot from a car right. than any other way, and especially going out into the woods with the express purpose of trying to see one of these creatures um, it seems like it doesn't work very well, if at all. It, but it's it's got to be sort of a, like a random chance, or like like you said, it has to appear to you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that Im- at the very least, that implies some sort of intentionality. Uh, but right, oh, um,
3: it's like I, have, I think I, I don't know if I'm going to it in the book or not. But um, that's why the bigfoot expeditions don't work. Mm-hmm. People go out there; a bunch of people with the express the express a goal of trying to film, photograph, capture whatever these things. And these things can see them coming, and they'll leave. Mm-hmm. And when the people, the expedition people are gone, then they'll come back. Yeah, that's that. That's what they. I, I think that's what they do. That's why the expeditions just don't work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because all these. You
3: know, Roger Patterson and Bob Gilman got lucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, were right. Horse, there were only two of them on
2: horseback. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure, and it. You know, it's a much different. That's an exactly, a much different experience with them. You know, just being sort of these, uh you know, cow- cowboy outdoorsmen, and. Right. And then, you know, these modern expeditions where there's all manner of electronic equipment and, you know, people who aren't used to being out there necessarily. Uh, So they, I think they had a much better chance of what happened, you know, know, surprising one of these creatures. Yep. Yep. And it it happened. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So anything else, Darren, that you wanted to say about your initial... Report, your initial experience in June of 91. Well,
3: um, just to the people who, uh, he's full of baloney. Uh, I was there you weren't. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I know
3: what I saw that night, and, and no one's going to get her to come into me otherwise. Um, I don't need the proof, proof they put that anyone. I've seen it. It's real to me.
1: That pretty much says it all, I think. And um, that's where we're going to leave it tonight. Uh, I am going to have Darren on uh, the next episode, and he's going to talk about uh, further experiences that he had while uh, living in Oregon. But uh, for right now, I'll say, uh, Darren, thank you for joining us tonight. If people are interested in getting your book, what do
0: they need to do?
3: Uh, You can find it on Amazon. Just uh, Google Bigfoot and I, and it'll come up under the book section.
0: So, that was part one of two. Um, tune in next week for part two. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, like I said at the beginning of the episode, you can reach us on Facebook. We're also at, on Twitter at Saswat Show. If you'd write to, like to write us an email, you can do that at saswatmail at gmail.com. And for Seth Breedlove, Small Town Monsters, darren richardson and all those on the track of bigfoot this is andy and mark matski saying goodbye